Greetings, everyone. Before we get started on today's episode, we wanted to address some feedback that we've received on the first four episodes. And uh, there are two things we want to cover today. One of them is on checking with your partner to, uh, to deal with the check swing. And, uh, and then the other one is uh, clarification on interference, uh, something that we had said in one of the earlier episodes. So Pete, let's start with the uh, checking with your partner on a check swing. So if, uh, if I'm the plate umpire and um, I call a ball and the catcher turns around and says, I think she went blue, would you check with your partner? Uh, what, what are the, I think in our episode we said, um, here's what I do. And I think mm-hmm. what I said is that um, I will step out, remove my mask, point to my base partner and say, did she go? And the feedback we got from a very respected umpire here in Central Ohio was that the NCAA manual actually specifies uh, the use of, of the pronoun they and yeah. not she and so and then some other other options as well some things like swing was there a swing was there an attempt you know something along those lines yeah so it has if in the usa manual there is a section at the beginning about communication and it talks about that and just verbalizing and that's that part you mentioned but when you get down to the actual sig- actual signals section of the manual where it talks about how to how to make a safe sign how to signal a home run it actually says requesting help on a check swing the plate umpire should step out from behind the catcher to be visible to your partner. In fast pitch, remove their mask with their left hand and in a two umpire system, point to the base umpire and ask in a loud verbal voice, did they go? In a three umpire system to a right-handed batter, the plate umpire will step out, remove the mask, point to you one, no matter where they're positioned on the field. And on a left-handed batter, the plate umpire should step out behind the plate, remove their mask and point to you three, wherever they're positioned on the field. The base umpire responds by saying yes and give a routine out signal or no and give a routine safe signal. The mask plate umpire puts their mask back on, gives the count to reflect the end result of the decision. And you mentioned uh, the NCAA also uses the did they go verbiage. However, NFHS was different, as you said. Yeah, NFHS says on uh, page 26 of the 2022 manual um, on a check swing, item number four, when asking for help on a check swing, the umpire should step out from behind the plate to be visible to their partner remove the mask, point to their partner, and ask with a loud verbal, did she swing or did she go? Step back in behind the plate and give the count. Yep, there you go. Uh, so just a clarification, there's some things we're going to point out, some some differences. We're not, a lot of our experience does come in NFHS ball or USA ball, and then from your coaching and your umpiring experience is going to get expanding into NCAA ball. Um, but just to make sure we're covering different sanctions to make this podcast as utilitarian as possible for anyone who's listening uh, as, as we can. But then the other thing we wanted to touch on, as you mentioned, was interference. So we had given a scenario where uh, something happened and we indicated a collision and then signaling interference. We just wanted to clarify that in no way are we saying the only way to get interference is by a collision. Yeah, we should have said, and I don't even recall now uh, which one of us actually made the, the slight error. It was just a, the choice of words. It was... Um, Instead of saying collision, we should have said, you know, interference occurred. So it can be, interference can be verbal. It can be uh, distracting, you know, in a, it does not take uh, contact or a collision uh, to be interference. So we just wanted to be crystal clear about that. Yep, absolutely. And with that, on to the show. Welcome to the Umpiring Fast Pitch Softball Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Pete. And today we're going to talk about some things that we found just mining through the uh, Facebook groups that we follow. And so some of these are just short little discussion points. Some of them are 
mechanics discussions and some things like that. So we're going to kind of start off and bring in this situation here. It says, what would you do in the situation? The pitcher of one team just obstructed a runner scoring from third. Obstruction was called. The pitcher then proceeds to challenge the runner who scored to a fight and called her a bunch of different words that I won't put on here. What should I have done? David, what should he have done? <laughs> well, well, first of all, we have to make sure that uh, we score the run. You know, so yes. we, we had obstruction and the, she would have made it uh, according to the post had she not been obstructed. So um, the run's going to score. And second, uh, you're ejecting the pitcher. So I think that's a, a no-brainer. We have unsporting conduct, uh, threat of physical violence, uh, mm -hmm. certainly uh, rises to the to the level of, of unsportsmanlike conduct that would require an ejection. And so then once you have an ejection there, we obviously have to have a substitute for a new pitcher. Uh, or at least a position change um, for for that to continue, for the game to continue. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. So they, they have on here that called her a bunch of different words. I just want to clarify, to me, the thing that got her ejected could could have been. I, any person standing there using a bunch of language like that could get her ejected. But I think the important thing here is, even if she called her a doo-doo head, um, the challenging her to a fight will get you immediately ejected, in my opinion. It's not a discussion. It's your fingers pointing towards the, the parking lot. In two seconds after she puts up her dukes or says, you want to you know, take this outside kind of situation. Sure. So one of the things, and I should look this one up in the book, so I don't know. We'll probably get some blog comments on it. Uh, we're talking about Federation Ball here. This, uh, so the group that we're reading is the NFHS softball group from Facebook. So we're talking about federations. We're talking mostly about minors. And um, I, I don't know if it's me as a father, me as a, you know, whatever, but it's, there's a language thing. And uh, I remember one of the few times I've actually ejected a coach because I've never ejected a player, thankfully. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's probably the top of my worst list. I don't want to do that uh, if I don't have to. But, uh, and I, I feel the same way about coaches. I would like to control the situation and not, not have to eject a coach. You know, they have a role to play there as well until they mess up bad enough that they're not allowed to play that role anymore. But one of the few times was a coach yelling out a, a very bad uh, F-word explicative during a game. And it was, for me, I, I don't know if it was just an immediate reaction, uh, but I, I know that my reaction was immediate. I don't know if it was just because of the use of that word, but it was a, yep, yeah, you're done. Yeah. And then that, of course, caused some more some more issues for me that game. But, uh, yeah, that's unsporting conduct, the, the language itself, but directed at someone is certainly unsportsmanlike conduct, and in my opinion, enough for ejection. Yeah, because I, I mean, I can tell you this happened two weeks ago to me. Shortstop, I'm, I'm in C. Shortstop boots the ball, and under her breath, mm -hmm. he said the word. Right? I ignored that. That's yeah. not, I'm not ejecting her for saying there. Because as you said, the difference is it was not directed at someone. They're not swearing at someone. They're not threatening them. They're not intimidating them. Right? Which some of that language could do depending right. on how you directed it and how you say it. Um, this was to herself. I just, I didn't hear it, right? That's right. as far as I'm concerned. I don't think yep. that's ejectable. Or, turn, those or ear, turn those bunny ears off. Right? Yeah, yep. So our next scenario was a video. And so we all know the best way to discuss video is to just describe it on audio. You're probably not going to help. Maybe I'll put the link to the video if I can in the show notes. So if you want to see, you can go check out umpiringfastpitchsoftball.com. Bring up this episode and check it out. What we had was a runner on second and the batter attempts a bunt so she squares she crouches uh, she does not make contact with the ball she then stands straight up and stands as still as i've ever seen someone stand still yeah, she was as, a statue yeah, yeah 
And then the catcher throws the ball to third to get the, the runner who was attempting to steal and just drills the batter in the side of the head. So the question is, do you have interference on that play? Yeah, so the video, the great job describing the video. Uh, you're right, they're going to need the link to see it. Um, there's, I think the comments were up to 95 or so comments on this particular post, uh, which in, in and of itself is, is <laughs> surprising to me. She, uh, she absolutely did nothing wrong here. She was finishing her swing, if mm-hmm. you will. So just because it was a bunt doesn't, it doesn't mean that she wasn't, you know, she was attempting to make contact with the ball, finished her swing, stood up. Uh, and, and when we say stood up, I mean, she was crouched a little. Mm-hmm. And then she went back to almost her, her starting position. Yeah, you she know? just unhinged her knees. A yeah, bit. exactly. And then the catcher um, stood up, left-handed catcher, yes. by the way, who's already behind the runner, had to kind of step up in order to, to hit her in the head. So um, I do not have interference on that particular call. I, I certainly don't uh, don't believe in, in watching the video. I don't believe that the, the batter um, intentionally interfered. While that's not a... While that's not a requirement of the rule, uh, that was one of the posters in there. Maybe even the the author of the post, I believe, thought felt that maybe she was coached to do that, to try to get in the way. And uh, she certainly was not doing that either. So I, I don't believe that her movement in the box and finishing her quote-unquote swing constituted moving enough in the box to, to impede the, the throw. Yeah, and as far as the rules are concerned, there's a couple things that are important to point out. Some things that we talked about before, things that are colloquialisms. The batter does not have a right to the batter's box. There are some people who think that the batter could not interfere as long as she was in the confines of that chalked off area or the area that was chalked off when the game began. That's not true. However, she does have a right to her position in the batter's box. So when she's set up to receive or you know strike at that pitch, she had established a position that was her position. She is entitled to that. In fact, there are case plays that talk about what were to happen if she were to swing at or not swing at the pitch, and if she tried or did not even make an attempt to get out of the way. And in all cases, she was okay. So the casebook even describes that. And I think, as you pointed out when you when you described your answer, her standing up is the same kind of thing as completing a swing. You know, if, if we were to take that case play to its logical conclusion, if I take a swing at the ball. So that bat is now wrapped around my back. I don't have to hold that finish, you know, that kind of like a golf finish. I don't have to hold that while she attempts to throw it under third. If I coil as I swing and then recoil and come back out and just I stand there, I'm still in my position in the box. If that happens, I'm not moving like that as she's throwing. So she bunted, attempted a bunt, stood straight up, and the catcher has now received the throw and is now stepping into doing. She hasn't repositioned. She hasn't moved a step, like even a step back. She, I don't even think she really flinched. Like you'd expect maybe her shoulders to tense up. She just took it like a champ <laughs> right did. in the head. <laughs> she did. I yes. And I think I felt like that was a well-coached girl. And as you pointed out, there was some pushback saying, yeah, she was well-coached on a way to interfere. And I don't think that's yeah, what happened at all. I don't believe all. that at all. Yeah. No. In fact, the, the coaching component there needed to be with the catcher. The catcher was already behind the runner. I'm sorry, already behind the batter. She needed to clear the batter who was standing still in the batter's box and make that throw to third. Instead, she stepped forward and with her left hand threw the ball at the batter. So yeah. I, I, I'm not, and I'm not saying she... No, maliciousness, it was just... Right. right. The next one. This is a scenario. The first and the third baseman are wearing defensive face masks. R1 is on second. 
B2 hits a line drive to the outfield. During the play, F3 and F5 remove their face masks and throw them on the ground, causing R1 to sidestep the mask on the ground near third base and it and alters R1's direction before she continues to go home and score. B1 stumbles on a discarded mask and continues towards second base where she is tagged out a hair before touching second base. What, if anything, do you have? Okay, so for me, I absolutely have obstruction in both cases. So I've yeah. got obstruction on the, the runner that was headed to third and then going home. The, uh, the, the end of that one, uh, of course, you know, obstruction is a delayed dead ball. So yes. we're going to wait until there is keep a dead playing. ball. Yep, we're going to keep on playing. Um, she went on on to score. So we really don't have to do anything about that one. You know, yeah. we've indicated the obstruction yeah, we when we indicate. saw it. Drop the obstruction. You know, don't hold it out there and run around the field, you know, <laughs> yeah. like a scarecrow. But, you know, you've indicated the obstruction. You drop the obstruction signal. And uh, you see that she scored anyway, so there's absolutely nothing to do there. Uh, but then the, the obstruction on the batter runner who stumbled on a piece of discarded equipment. I'm going to throw the word out there mm-hmm. because, you know, people are going to say, hey, there's there's rules in the rule book about discarded equipment. And most of those have to do with a blocked ball. Yeah. Uh, this one's not a blocked ball. This is somebody has taken something and thrown it down and in, into the path of the runner and caused that runner's progress to be impeded. So using those words intentionally, because that's if you impede the progress of the runner, that's in the rule book. And that happened. So, uh, and the post goes on to describe that she was barely thrown out at second base. So had she not stumbled, in my judgment, based on what was in the post, I believe she would have attained second base had she not been obstructed. And so you would award her second base in that case. Yeah. And a good rule of thumb I've often heard. So I mean, right in all cases, that's exactly what I would say. Uh, One rule of thumb, though, I heard is you have girls getting home to first in about three seconds, right? So that means they're covering... Three seconds, they're covering 60 feet. That's 20 feet every second. If she stumbled and lost half a second, that gives her 10 feet of, like, in my judgment, she would have made it. If you think about that. And 10 feet's got a lot. Lay down on the ground, right? And flip yourself over and chop off your knees or whatever. And that's about <laughs> six feet, or that's about 10 feet. So that's a, that's a big way. And so barely thrown out. It's not a question. I'm not entertaining discussion from the coach. This is... It's a no-brainer, I think. Yeah, I agree. I'd never thought of it that way, you know, putting the time, how fast runners are today. And, they're, you know, some of our faster college players are, you know, 2'8", yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And, and they had to go from a dead stop. And this is one where she was actually already on the move. So even probably yeah. less yeah. time from first to second. Yeah. Even our so, slowest runners in summer ball were 3'5 to first. Yeah. You know, 3'6 in there, like you said. And that was obviously from a dead stop. So. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, so... You know, I don't know what the comments were, you know, on the on the Facebook post. But again, this is another one that had forty five to fifty posts on the on the thing. And I, some of these to me are just no brainers. I'm not sure what all the discussions about. Yeah, sometimes I think it's just people adding agreement to agreement and saying yes, 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 yes. Sure. Um, so I'm hoping it was that. Um, I didn't read through all of them either. Uh, the next one was a point that came up. The video was actually, I think, for a different reason. But then the discussion that ensued had to do with home plate umpire positioning and what that should be now in the umpire mechanics manual versus what you may have been taught in the past versus what might be needing to change in the umpire manual. And that has to do with where does the umpire go, uh, the plate umpire, as a play, as a runner's rounding third. So we have runners on. So that first runner getting to third on a ball hit to the outfield is the plate umpire's responsibility. 
So he's moved up the line to a certain degree. As that throw is coming home, maybe that throw is going to result in a play. So now something needs to happen. So you're at the holding zone. What do you do with yourself? So there's some people, and I I've, I've see it as I see people umpire. I see them make that call on the play at the plate from some version of the holding zone. You know, step closer to the plate, but they're on the third base foul territory side north of the plate, right? Um, there are people that talk about working point of plate or third base extended, you know, and so they start at point of plate or try to be there and then step as they need to versus the wedge, which is, it's always poorly described verbally, I've found. There's some good videos that show it, but the idea that you stay kind of off the left hip of the catcher and rotate as she rotates, because some people have said, well, it's any three point, you you take the ball and the, and the runner and any third point becomes the wedge, but that's not true because you could be standing in a straight line and that's a third point and that's not it. So you need to think about what that is. And following that hip around kind of gives you that angle. Um, you're going to end up being somewhere on the first base side of the plate, sometimes even up into uh, that, up to that foul line or even in fair territory, depending on how that play breaks down. So what, what do you do? What, what do you think the right mechanic is and what's your discussion addition there for sure. this play? So there's a lot going on there. A couple of, would rephrase a few things and clarify a couple of things. One, we're talking about uh, the two umpire system in this case. Yeah, where yeah, good the, point. Yeah, good where point. the umpire has the responsibility of uh, any, not the the trail, not the last runner to third. So they've got some responsibility up there at third, and uh, responsibility at the plate. So mm-hmm. you know we're not talking about three man where we've done any rotating or that any starting and counter rotated positions, nothing like that. So we're talking about two man mechanics, and in USA softball and Federation mechanics, the umpire is to go to the holding zone and watch the play develop and be ready to step into the field and and get the proper angle and distance to any play at third Mm -hmm. and then if there's going to be a play at home they're to you know bust their butt down to get to home where i believe if i'm not mistaken we're still talking about um, 90 degrees from the leading edge of the play and uh, eight to ten feet in, in distance. So that's going to put you somewhere around the left, the right-handed batter's box, the, the back left corner of the right-handed batter's box. So that's the, that's the standard play. That's what's in the mechanics manual for USA softball and federation. Um, other sanctions uh, have in their mechanics manual th- talk about the point in the wedge. And there were two videos on the, the particular thread. One was a response video to say, Hey, here's why you should use the wedge now. So why did they respond? The first thing was, the in the in the video that was shown that started the post the the plate umpire did run up the third base line to the holding zone uh, almost ran into the third base coach who was yeah. waving the girl to go home so there's some cues there that yeah. maybe the plate umpire should have uh, should have picked up on and said oh you know <laughs> there's not going to be a play here she's going to head to home and you know we're older than them and maybe not uh, quite as spry so we need a head start. probably get a head start and uh, get down there to call that play so I thought in this case the the plate umpire actually did a decent job of getting most of the way back to a position where he was 90 degrees from the plate. So then the the rest of the the post was about and well he should have been should have gone to the point of the plate and used the wedge so that he would have been able to make a better call. And so the video that they used to prove this was a plate umpire um, running mm-hmm. and they had a swipe play. Mm-hmm. So the umpire is running at almost full speed, trying to get around to the point of the plate and missed, possibly missed a swipe tag. 
and was still running and twisting and was probably 12 feet from the pitcher's plate in fair territory and made a safe call while on the run. And this was a video that was um, a proponent of using the wedge. Yeah. <laughs> and so for me, while the wedge may have uh, some benefit in this particular case, it certainly was not. I, every manual that we have says get into the proper position, angle over distance, get to the right angle, close the distance, stop, see the play, make the call. We don't make calls on the run. Um, interesting sidebar. There is a call to be made on the run. Do, do you remember what it is, Pete? Uh, is it the one? I think we talked about it. Is this the steal of second? Yeah. Yeah, or the uh, double play, the double play at second. Okay, so you've yeah. got a runner at first, and so you're the uh, into man, you know, so you're out on the field over mm-hmm. near the second baseman, and uh, there's going to be a double play. And so you, you start to run toward the ball. You let the ball take you to second. You see there's going to be a double play. So then you look over your shoulder while running back toward first base and watch that play happen at second. And then, uh, then you stop, make the call at first. Right? That's the only time in the manual that okay. you're to be making a call while you're while you're moving. So, you know, the your question then to me was, you know, that's what the manuals are today. What should they be? Should the wedge be included? I certainly think that uh, there is some benefit to being able to call some plays from the wedge, but uh, also you just have to be really, really careful to get into position to be able to make that call uh, from the wedge, so that you're not trying to make it on the run. Yeah. And that was the thing, and there was some discussion. People even asked about what about being on the run, and the some of the consensus that came back seemed to be, I'd rather be on the run here and at the angle that I was at versus being still and maybe being on the, the mirror angle, which is the be on the third base side rather than the first base side. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable about that, so I feel we talked about when we talked about the mechanics section, one of the things that good mechanics do for you is they kind of add credibility to what you're doing is that people see where you are and what you've what position you're in and the way you call the ball and they have some more confidence that you made the correct call but in this case on the run I could see the coaches being out in 2 seconds how could you possibly have seen that on the run you're looking he's looking to his left so he's kind of looking at his his chin was closer to his left shoulder than straight up and yeah, down exactly. um you know as he's kind of looking back on himself as he's running around I don't know that that's a high confidence call yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you about you know the benefit of the wedge to see certain things. You know, some of that's going to come from experience. That's going to come from play. Some of that's going to come from, as you said, you see third base windmilling, and it doesn't seem to be a fake out or anything like that. Like it's it's probably what's happening. Maybe you get that a little faster. You read the play. Your pre pitch planning says to you, ball hits of the green that is not directly at an outfielder. I'm expecting the runner to, from second to come home. I need to position correctly, you know, and things like that. So maybe that would have alleviated that. And then the wedge could have not been on the runny or you could have been in the better position. I don't know. But yeah, I I didn't, like you said, I didn't necessarily like that. You know, I've not been doing it long enough where, um, you know, I have 10 years of experience doing it one way and 10 years of experience doing it another way. And I can compare and contrast them for you in a dissertation-like way. I can't do that. So it was just only from there I'm looking at the confidence aspect and, what I could do and feel myself doing. And I haven't been in the position to need to do that or have been that. So I don't know if that's luck on my point that I haven't been in that situation. Good umpiring um, because I've put myself not to need it or bad umpiring because I made calls from terrible positions. I can't, I can't say. And so that's right. So you said a couple of things there. I want to address are great things. One of them was pre-pitch planning. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're, if you're pre-pitch planning, there's, there's basic, 
pre-pitch planning. You know, where are my runners? Uh, what are my responsibilities on a ground ball to the infield? Do, are the, do they change? You know, what are my responsibilities for a base hit to the outfield? What are my responsibilities for a fly ball to the outfield? Right? Those are the three scenarios that we see in the, in the mechanics manual. That's the basic of pre-pitch planning. Then there is, in my opinion anyway, uh, many of us who have been playing and coaching fast pitch softball for a long time. I, let me clarify that. I do not play fast pitch softball and never have. So mm-hmm. playing diamond sports is what I meant to say. Yeah. And coaching and umpiring fast pitch softball, there's even more to consider in pre-pitch planning. Is the, the runner at second the 280-pound first baseman? Right. Or is it the 95-pound second baseman? Yeah. That they or the the pinch runner that they put in the substitute mm-hmm. runner that they put in for the for the first baseman. Uh, if that's the person and you get a, a nice base hit to the outfield, you better be looking at who's on first too because yeah. you know they might be yeah. heading home as well. We're doing that quite a bit in uh, even at our Division three level in college here in Central Ohio. I can't tell you how many times we've scored that runner from first uh, because we've just got some speedy kids. So. Pre-pitch planning on what's the level of ball that you have, uh, what's the runner that, that's going to be out there. And we mentioned it already in the, in the podcast about the coach. You know, the coach was windmilling and saying, hey, she's going home. So all of those clues uh, can help you say, how far up into the holding zone do I really want to be here? Yeah. Uh, because the, the holding zone is not a spot on the field. We're taught that in every clinic I've been to. It's an area. Mm-hmm. And uh, where you are in that area is, is, can be determined by how good a pre-pitch planning you did. So that was one of the things I wanted to mention. The other thing I wanted to mention was that uh, last year in August, I had the opportunity to go out to Oklahoma City and uh, umpire the Alliance Fast Pitch Softball Championship out there. Mm-hmm. And I got to meet some very fine people, a lot of uh, who's who in NCAA umpiring, including the director of umpires in the NCAA had some had some lovely conversations with that group of guys, and uh, you had mentioned that we don't have ten years of experience one way and ten years of experience the other way. Yeah. So the cool part about umpiring is that there are people out there that do, and they're in charge of these mechanics manuals. So they create these manuals for us to decide uh, what they've decided what is the best mechanic to be able to document. And I did learn last summer that there's a there's a movement that uh, NCAA mechanics are favorable, of course, to that group of folks. And um, thinking about USA softball coming in line more with some of the NCAA mechanics. So thankfully, we don't need 20 years of experience to be able to figure out what's the best way. They're going to help us with that. And they're going to put it in a manual. And they're going to say, hey, this is how we have found is the best way to do it. And here's how we would like you to do it. And the best umpires in the world follow the mechanics manual. Every time you go somewhere to be evaluated, they're evaluating you against that mechanics manual. Pay attention to the manual and you'll most of the time be in the right spot. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, we still have a couple more scenarios we want to go through, but this episode is starting to get close to time. So we're going to call this one a day. And next time, we're going to pick this back up with through some of these other scenarios we found that have uh, some, some good rich opportunities for us to have some discussion. So until next time, Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks.